Well, this morning I want to talk to you about our core values. And i and I tell you where that fits in the overall uh, teaching that we've been looking at lately because we've been studying, as you know, the different ways in the New Testament that it describes the church, the, the whole body of Christ, and how the New Testament relates to that. And it uses different analogies or metaphors. Like it says, we're a flock. We're like a flock of sheep and we have a shepherd. The great shepherd is Jesus Christ. Or it says we're like a living temple and every one of us are living stones within that temple. So that's an, an image of the church. We talked about the church being a body. And most recently, last week, we talked about the church being the bride of Christ. But what I want to talk about this morning is how does our local church fit into that picture? And what is it about us as a local church that is unique? You know, every single congregation has a personality just like people do. Every single congregation has a personality. And every congregation has a set of core values, whether they have ever been articulated and written down or not, there are things that motivate what we do and what we don't do. They're, they come from within us and express themselves, and if we ever identify them and can, can codify them, write them down, we call them core values. They're the things we treasure. And I believe that in, the, in a community, God gives to different churches, different congregations, personalities and distinctives that uh, make their ministry valid. I meet together on Thursday morning, as you know, with a group of pastors in the McHenry area, and we pray for our town, we pray for each other, we pray for our respective ministries. And when I think about it, I kind of go around the community... You know, I can just kind of make the circle in my mind, and, and there's Kit uh, over there at Faith Presbyterian, and there's Reuben up the street here at First Baptist, and um, there's Cal at McHenry E. Free, and there's uh, Tim at, at Orchard, and there's uh, Mike at uh, the Assembly of God, and, and, and other congregations are represented as we come together and we pray together. I am convinced that we have one true body of Christ in McHenry. And that each congregation is an expression of that, just as we have one body of Christ throughout the world. But each congregation is here for a reason. And there are people that would come here that would never go to Maranatha Assembly. And there are people that would go to Faith Presbyterian that would never go to First Baptist, and, and, and so on and so forth. And each one of these congregations has a different personality that appeals to a particular group of people, and they have meaningful existence because of it. Because our desire is that everyone come to know Jesus Christ and have a personal relationship with God through Him, and we're not going to reach everyone in the Alliance Bible Church. I'd like to, uh, not because I'm selfish or I want all the growth for ourselves, but I'd like to because I'd like to reach them. But the reality is we're not going to do it. Uh, and there are some things that, that people are not going to like about us. And they're going to be drawn somewhere else. And I praise God for that somewhere else. But I want to ask the question this morning, who are we and what makes us who we are? Why are we here? Why do we have our existence? 
a number of years ago, I think it was about 10 years ago almost now, uh, we were going through a process of analysis and, and introspection, and um, John Fogle was helping us through a, a program of, of kind of church uh, assessment called Natural Church Development. And we met in a, in a group of people that were representative of the congregation. They were retired. They were uh, young people. They were middle-aged. They were men. They were women. Uh, there was about a dozen of us that were selected by the uh, leadership team at the time. We called it the governing board then. And uh, we were selected, and our purpose was to begin to identify core values. And one of the things we did was we sat in my living room one night and I handed out a sheet of paper that had about 35 or 40 different options on it, different values. And the assignment for the group was number these according to what you think is most important down to least important and pick at least eight or ten of them and we're going to look at the top five. And when we distilled that set of core values, five rose to the top. And it's interesting that I have done that twice since then with our leadership teams. And without referencing the page, and without reminding ourselves of the previous answer, I hand it out to the leadership team and say, pick the top five that you value the most. And we always come out in the same set of, of core values because they do identify centrally who we are. And two of the things that have stood out, not just in the last 10 years, but in the last 62 years. Two of the things that have stood out and that have always been the same. And uh, those two things I'm going to talk about first as we look at these other, as a total of five of them this morning. But one of those two is this church has always valued the deep exposition, teaching, analysis, explanation of the Word of God. We have always valued teaching the Word of God. Um, I was uh, saying in the first hour that there were some people in our congregation who were there when that Bible study began. And what was it, March 1948? 1948, Bible study began. And you were originally meeting in Lakemore, wasn't it? In McHenry, they went to Lake Moore. But in May of 1958, that Bible study had grown into a regular congregation and decided that they needed to um, organize and incorporate as a church. And at that time, uh, a full-time pastor was called, and the, the group that had been meeting as a Bible study organized into the Alliance Bible Church what has become the Alliance Bible Church of McHenry, a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And if you go back and you look at the history all the way from the beginning, and you look at the pastors who served this, this congregation over those years, the one common denominator that always stands out is a great love for the Scriptures. To teach the Word of God. It's one of the reasons why this church puts up with 45-minute to one-hour sermons. It's why you let me preach like that. It's, it's why we have always valued getting into the Scripture and digging down deep and, and 
expounding the, the deeper meaning of the Word of God. We don't just want the fluff. You don't want a social commentary on current events and how Jesus would respond. You don't want a 20-minute devotional. You have always valued the exposition of the Scripture. I want to say, however, that there is, with every strength, there is a corresponding weakness. I think the way the enemy loves to mess with us is he takes whatever direction we want to go, and if he can't keep us from going there, he just wants to push us a little further than we should, you know, to push us off the edge. And one of the problems that congregations can have that love the teaching of Scripture, well, let me put it this way. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have life. And you do not know the one about whom they speak. In other words, I'm standing in front of you. I'm the Son of God and you don't know me. You search the Scriptures, but you've missed the Lord. And one of the dangers of people who love the Scriptures is the danger of making the teaching of the Bible God instead of a means to know God. Let me explain what I mean. Paul, the apostle in the New Testament, held high the Word of God. He's the one who wrote to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of truth. Timothy, study the Scriptures. 2 Timothy 4.1, he is the one who wrote to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead. Preach the Word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and love, because the day will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. Timothy, preach the Word. Made it his focus. Timothy, Lift up the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul taught the Scriptures and related Jesus Christ to the Scriptures. But when Paul expressed his, his passion, his focus, his mission for his own life, he did not say, my great ambition is to be a student of the Word of God. My great ambition is to be a scholar of the Word of God. My great ambition is to accurately preach and teach the doctrines of Scripture. Paul said, this is my goal. I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to know Him. I want to be conformed to the, to the image of His suffering. I want to understand the fellowship of His sufferings. I want to be conformed to the image of His death. I want to know Jesus. That's my passion in life. The Bible is a means to coming to know Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of God that tells us who He is and who we are. And that explains to us how to relate to Him properly. The Scripture is the, is the gate, it's the doorway to an understanding of the nature of God. But it is not God. The Bible is not God. And there is a danger when people focus on the Scriptures. 
that they can inadvertently slip and turn Bible study into idolatry. It's an amazing thing that you could make an idol out of the Bible. But it's entirely possible. And when you make an idol out of the Bible, you've become one of those scribes and Pharisees that search the Scriptures diligently, but you just miss the point entirely. You miss the Lord Jesus. We're not called to be educated. We're called to be worshipers. We're not called to be uh, students necessarily. We're called to be followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. We're not called to knowledge. We're called to obedience. And so we're given the Word as a means of knowing God. And this church has always valued the Word. And I, and I hold that up because I, I don't know of any other, well, there is no other authoritative source for the knowledge of God. But we must always hold that in balance with a passion to know Jesus Christ. The second thing that has stood out through the years as being fundamental to who we are as a people is an emphasis on world mission. This church has always been interested in world mission. I think uh, this is undoubtedly one of the reasons why when it came time for affiliation, who are we going to associate with? How, where are we going to identify ourselves? That, that, uh, that Bible study group said we were going to be part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And as I look back in the history of the church, I see that there are two motivations for that. One of them was to be a part of a mission organization whose theme, whose motto was win the world to Christ and bring back the King. We want to share Jesus Christ around the world. Mission is our middle name. It's a part of who we are as a people. We want to be involved in world evangelism. I think the second motivation was we do not want to get hung up on peripheral doctrinal issues that tend to divide people. But we want to focus on the absolute centrality of Jesus Christ. And the Christian Missionary Alliance has always held that. Uh, you know, as you well know, because I've told you many times, I sit on the licensing and, and ordination committee of our district, and I've been there now for about 20 years. And as I interview candidates, I'm not looking for people who are Calvinist or Arminians. Methodist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal. Those are, those are not issues that we are concerned about. We are concerned that people have a conviction that the Bible is the Word of God inerrant and infallible. We are concerned that people have a conviction that Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God, eternally pre-existing, but coming through a virgin birth through Mary, born into this world, died on the cross for our sin, shed His blood to cleanse us from sin, was buried and rose again bodily the third day, and is coming back. And He has given us a great commission, win the world to Christ. For when the gospel of the kingdom has been preached in all the nations, then the end shall come. And we have, have had that conviction that we must uphold Jesus Christ as number one, focus, central, 
our goal and not allow peripheral doctrinal issues to divide us. Those of you that may not be aware of that, you may not know. We will not argue over eternal security. We will not fuss with those who think you can lose your salvation. I guess I gave myself away when I said that, didn't I? But we're not going to fuss with those who believe that because it's irrelevant to the ultimate cause of proclaiming the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We're not going to fuss over the picky points of Calvinism. We're not going to fuss over whether or not the spiritual gifts are available or to be used today. In fact, the, 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 the conviction of the Christian Missionary Alliance is regarding all the gifts. They're all available, but it's the Holy Spirit's determination how they get uh, given and used. And so we leave that up to Him. Our desire, however, is to focus on Jesus Christ and not let the the particulars of different doctrinal persuasions lead us into division or distract us from that missional purpose. It is important to hold up Jesus Christ to the world. And when our pastor's group meets on Thursday morning to pray and we sit around that table, I know that there's a Presbyterian and a Pentecostal, and a Baptist, and an Independent, and an Evangelical Free, and a CNMA, and whatever else. And I know that we're all there with differing doctrinal particulars. But we love each other, and we pray for one another, because we have one mission in McHenry. To win people to Jesus Christ and to disciple them into being faithful, fruitful followers of Jesus Christ. And we know what that means. And we don't compromise on the centrality of that mission. And our church particularly embraces the cause of world mission. We have had times off and on in our history, several times since I've been pastor over the last two and a half decades, we have had times when we could literally say the sun never sets on the members of the Alliance Bible Church. And as I stand speaking here this morning, we have a couple who are in transit back from Orlando where they have been serving with Wycliffe Ministries over the winter time and have been on mission trips all over the world. We have a couple of our, from our congregation who is serving faithfully Jesus Christ in, in Riyadh in a closed access way, but they're there sharing uh, through just ordinary work, letting the light of Jesus Christ shine. We have a young man from our congregation who is in China. We have a couple who have been a part of our congregation who are in Russia this morning as we speak. We have had people in Africa and South America and Australia and on every continent of the globe because we are convinced deep within our heart that it is important to carry the gospel message around the world. One of our uh, members and, and member families is about to embark again on another trip back to a very risky place in the Middle East because we are convinced that they need to hear about Jesus Christ. 
We are about the business of world mission. And this church has always been about the, biz- the business of world mission. We are so deeply convinced about it that it isn't just enough to give. We have to pray. And we're willing to go. Right now we're praying for Sam and for Isaiah as they uh, plan and prepare to go to Dominican this, this uh, summer. And we want to embrace that mission of theirs. Just got a letter in the mail the other day of another uh, young man from our congregation who has another mission trip in mind and is considering embarking on that. And, and I am anxious for these folk to go to these places. I am anxious for us to invest in their lives because I know that not only will they be of practical service and ministry for the period of time that they are in these uh, underprivileged areas of the world, but I also know that it will change their lives forever. Sam will come back to our church from her trip and she will be permanently transformed by what she sees and experiences. And whatever God does with her life in the future, and however she invested in the kingdom, she will always have mission in her heart because of what she sees. These things are vitally important, and this church believes that. And we always have. It's something that we have held dear. We believe in prayer. On Wednesday night, we meet for prayer. And among other things, we pray for missionaries. We have groups that pray specifically. The Alliance Women Group meets to pray specifically for missionaries. In the men's breakfast that Dean leads once a month, the men pray for the missionaries that they're aware of in the context of their group. We pray in the office when we get emails from people Uh, We've had some desperate situations coming across our desk lately. And friends, our world is changing. And as important as it is to give and as important as it is to go, it's even more important, I think, to pray. We have things happening across our world where we can only share them in the context of of a fairly uh, secluded prayer meeting. We cannot even afford to put out in an email some of the requests that we get. In fact, some of them come to us and you kind of have to have uh, the gift of tongues to the gift of interpretation to understand them because they're kind of written in code. Because we have people serving in areas of the world where they would literally be killed if the people knew their true motivation for being there. I heard when I was at district conference of a a church that simply put in their bulletin the name of a guest speaker and called him a missionary from, didn't even name the country, but from a region of the world. But the bulletin was published in the church calendar as a part of the website. And his name turned up in a search. And this man of, in his thirties, a father of four, was gunned down in the streets of that place where he served because his name was revealed as a missionary.
We have people serving around the world in incredibly uh, risky places because they are convinced that despite the cause, despite the risk, the cause of sharing Jesus Christ is the most important cause on the planet. There is no greater mission than giving people an opportunity to receive Him as Lord and Savior. And friends, we enjoy a freedom here in this country that is hard to imagine in many places of the world. When I was at district conference uh, this past week, I met a man uh, by the name of Talarge who is from Ethiopia. And uh, this man uh, came to this country as a political refugee about four years ago. Interestingly uh, enough, he turned up in our district office and he said, I'd like to plant a church among Ethiopians. I like to be a part of the Midwest District. He had been a veterinary doctor, but uh, he said, God's calling me to preach, and I feel it's important to, to, to collect uh, people together from Ethiopia and to build a church and to share Jesus Christ. And, you know, you never know when someone shows up like that, are they looking for a paycheck, or are they looking for a mission? And so uh, at that time, uh, John Rich, who's our district superintendent, but at the time he was our church planting director, John said, well, tell you what, we're very interested in what you're doing. Go start your church, and when you've got it started, come back and talk to us. And so uh, I didn't hear from him for a while. A year ago, Talarge showed up in the district office again. Been gone for three years. He showed back up, and he said, well, do you remember me? And John said, yeah, you're the veterinary doctor from Ethiopia, and he said, well, he said, we have a church now of about a hundred people meeting on Sunday morning, and we're planting a daughter church down in Chicago among Ethiopians, and we'd like to be a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Can we have credentials in the Midwest District? And it was like, wow, <laughs> okay, that sounds like God really has his hand upon you. And, and and we were so great, uh, glad to hear from Talarge and to hear his testimony as uh, he came to our district conference. But you know why he left Ethiopia? Because in Ethiopia, they were forcing Christians, Christian leaders, to dig their own grave. And as they stood in the grave, they put a gun to their head and they read a list of denials of their faith and of Jesus Christ. And if they did not deny their faith and deny Jesus, they shot them on the spot and covered them over. Can you imagine what it costs to follow Jesus Christ? And yet, friends, the cost of following Christ is not nearly so great as the cost of not following Him. To know Jesus is to have eternal life. Not to know Him is to only expect eternal damnation and death. To know Jesus is the most important thing in the world. And this church believes that. It's a part of our core being. It's a part of our essential nature. What are some of the other core values that begin to to move to the top. I've talked about two of them, preaching and teaching the Word of God and obeying the Great Commission. But I want to talk about the other three that are on our study guide this morning. 
we value the public gathering of worship to celebrate Jesus Christ. And I, and I want to say a word about that that's really important. Because sometimes we have expectations of a worship gathering that are unrealistic. If you do not come to church worshiping, it is unlikely that you will experience worship when you get here. What I mean by that is, worship is not a service we have between 10 and 11.30 on Sunday morning. Worship is what happens in your life every moment of every day. The Apostle Paul again wrote to the church, to the church at Rome, chapter 12, verse 1. He said, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I hope it doesn't bother you this morning that I don't have a specific text. I'm talking all over the New Testament, but I'm quoting Scripture to support each point. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 makes it plain that true worship is what happens every day of our lives as we live surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and make our bodies available as living sacrifices. The Jews would come to the temple, they would bring some sacrificial animal, and they would sacrifice, and they called that worship. And Paul said this, in the spiritual life of the believer, worship is when you live every moment as a living sacrifice. And so you must be a worshiping person in order to experience the celebration of corporate worship. If you come in here on a Sunday morning having lived six days in a secular mindset, having lived six days without hardly a thought for Jesus Christ, not having opened your Bible, not having spent any time in prayer, not having any personal experience with Jesus Christ, and you come in on a Sunday morning and you say, I want to get my tank full so I can go out for another week. You're going to be disappointed inevitably. You're going to find that it doesn't last, that, it, that it's not satisfying. You're going to find that you, you do not experience all the, the, the richness that is in Jesus Christ. And you're going to find that you come in with expectations that lend toward a critical spirit when they're not met. Worshiping people can see the life of Jesus Christ in many contexts. People who have expectations of a service to meet certain needs are going to find that oftentimes when those needs are not met, they are critical of the process. Am I speaking Greek or do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we think worship should look like a certain thing. And when we come 
and it doesn't look that way or feel that way, we say, I don't know what they're doing down there, but they're not really lifting up Jesus. And it has nothing to do with Jesus. It has to do with the frame of mind and the spirit that you're in. That's important for us to recognize that. I talked in the 8 o'clock service about our values of worship. We are not about professionalism here. In case you didn't know that, I, I should just mention that. I'm sure you probably have noticed, though. We're not about putting on... I remember, this Christian Missionary Alliance Church, I remember my first assignment... It wasn't the first, it's actually the second, but I went to Birmingham, Alabama to, uh, to an Alliance church in Alabama. And I remember the first Sunday that I came out, I was the assistant pastor, and, and we stood at the back with our suits on, white shirt and suit. And uh, the pastor said, we'll stand here until the choir begins their ascent. I didn't know if they were going to get levitated or what, but they they were going to ascend to the choir loft, which really wasn't all that high. It was a couple steps, but anyway. And they they so so the choir would come in and they would turn the corner and in their robes they would walk down the aisle to the choir loft. And then the pastor and I stood at the back until they had gotten to their places, and we walked down the aisle with you know you got to hold your Bible just right when you're a pastor. And so we walked down the aisle with our Bibles to the platform and took our seats and the service began. The organ strains filled the room and the first anthem started. Oh, man. That's okay, but we don't do that here. And... One of the reasons that we don't do that is because we value the contribution of every person. We cherish coming together in the Lord and singing. We don't have to have every song polished to a T. Now, we try to be good at it. Uh, There's a balance to be struck. I have a personal conviction that when you make a lot of mistakes, people notice the mistakes instead of Jesus. So it's important to have things going at least kind of in the right direction so that the attention is not distracted from Jesus. What happened when I didn't have my microphone turned on? What did we have to spend the first two minutes of the sermon thinking about? Technology. You're not supposed to think about technology. It's just supposed to happen. And when it does well, you don't know it's there. But... So there's a balance to be had, but we're about celebrating Jesus Christ in a way that people who are gifted by the Holy Spirit in a non-professional execution of the perfect orchestrated service that we can come and share the Lord Jesus. We can have a testimony. We can pray for people. We can stand or sit. We can clap or not. We can lift our hands or not. We are people who desire to come celebrating the life that we have in Jesus Christ and come together and worship. And in recent years, we have noted our desire as a mission-minded church to express that worship 
in multiculturalism. We have a Spanish language service going on downstairs. Pastor Hector Morales is preaching this morning in Spanish while I'm preaching in English. And our children and nursery ministries are blended. And we value that. We have a, a dream and a hope that someday God will give us people from other cultures and we can see a, perhaps a Korean gathering or an Indian gathering or Chinese or whomever God wants to bring as our church expands to see the gospel in McHenry go out to all people. By the way, you're at the 10 o'clock service, not the 8 o'clock service, so maybe I don't need to say this here, but I want us to recognize that culture is not just a matter of race, language, and country of origin. Culture is very simply the way we do things, the things that speak to our heart, the things that come out of our heart. Culture is kind of our own uh, expression of identity. And we actually have two different music cultures in our church. Our 8 o'clock group is structured around hymns because they like hymns. Hymns speak from their heart. That's the way they, they sing to the Lord. They sing in hymns. But in this service, we have purpose to have more contemporary kinds of music. We struggle a little bit because we don't have a consistent drummer. Our drummer's consistent. He's just not always here at college, but, uh, but we would love to, to have bass and drums and, and all the things that go with that full praise team because we also want to celebrate Jesus Christ in the language of contemporary music. And we're always fighting these music wars. It kind of amazes me that we're still struggling over this issue a bit when most of the church got over it ten years ago. I don't, I don't know why we're still still struggling, but but the truth of the matter is, you know, one of my one of my favorites. I'm griping here, but one of my favorites is when people say they sing the same thing over and over again. What about a four verse hymn, and you sing the chorus? Four times over and over again. It's half the hymn. I mean, come on. Think about it. I mean, all you've got to do is stop and look at the words. I, one day, Carrie, I, ignore me, brother, okay? You, you can plug your ears. One day somebody said to me, uh, that, that, we sang this crazy song. Why, where in the world did those words come from? It was Jesus is my sanity. I said they're right out of Scripture. That came from the Bible. Really? Yeah, look at, the, look at a modern translation. That word means sanity. Jesus has made into us wisdom. Sanity is the word. That's right out of the Bible. It's like, oh, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, we'll read the words. See what they say. Look at the text. We fuss. <laughs> because different cultures get us out of our comfort zone. But we need to learn to recognize value. And recognize 
the expression that others cherish and celebrate it. My definition of multicultural unity is celebrating diversity in the oneness of Jesus Christ. Do you know what I mean by that? Celebrating diversity. I do not want to make Hispanics into Anglos. I don't want to make Koreans into Hispanics. I don't want to make Anglos into Chinese. We are who we are. And in the beauty of Jesus Christ, He expresses Himself in us in wonderful ways. And, and music is what it is. And it's different music stirs people's hearts. Did you know there's people in this world that like bluegrass? Do you know how I know that? They, they sell CDs with bluegrass. They sell country music in this country. They still sell Beethoven and Bach and Mozart. They still sell it. People have all kinds of taste. And in every genre, almost every genre, there's a few edgy things, but almost every genre, there are people who love Jesus. And they express their heart in the style that comes out of their spirit. Because we're all wired differently. We're all wired differently. I think it would be fun some morning to come in and do the African shuffle. And have the drums. I, I, the African drums. I think that would be really cool. Oh, I'm way off a rabbit trail here. I only went rabbit hunting once in my life. Now I'm really off. <laughs> I only went rabbit hunting once in my life. I went with a friend of mine. He says, come on, I'll take you rabbit hunting. I really didn't want to go rabbit hunting because they really don't like to kill things. But anyway, we went rabbit hunting. And uh, sure enough, there we saw a rabbit. And, and he, he was tearing around the circle. And so I thought I would chase the rabbit. <laughs> I got so deep in a blackberry briar. Oh, my goodness. It took me about 30 minutes to pick my way out of the blackberry bushes. They're, they have thorns. For those of you that have never been in a blackberry briar, they have thorns all over them. And um, my friend is standing outside just laughing at me. He's just almost rolling in the sand. He says, stupid, you're not supposed to chase the rabbit. You're supposed to wait in the path and the dog will run the rabbit back to you. Oh, I didn't know that. So I'm 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 in the briars here. And I'm off on a path. And there's a lot of stuff I want to say and I'm just not going to do it. We come together to celebrate the life of Jesus Christ. Friends, when we do, we need to recognize that life as it's expressed in different people. And rejoice in it. And rejoice in it. 
and not spend all of our time trying to change each other. Good grief. We also have as a core value fellowship and communion of believers. We recognize the value of small groups. Our church has all kinds of groups. We have small groups that meet in homes throughout the community during the week. Some of you are part of those. I wish all of you were part of those. Because those are times when we gather in someone's living room, uh, 10 to 12 people, and we take the study guide material from this Sunday sermon and we talk about what's happening in our lives and we pray for one another and then we talk about what the message was about and the impact that it had on us. And one of the things I've noticed, I realized this past, this past week, Wednesday, as I spoke to District Conference, I realized that that was the 40th anniversary of the first time I ever spoke publicly for Jesus Christ. I was sitting in a, in a youth meeting on a Wednesday night when God said to me, I want you to get up there and tell them what I've done for you. And it was just a few months later that he sealed to me the call to preach. I've been preaching for 40 years. And one of the great sadnesses of 40 years of preaching was that for many years I preached and people didn't have a clue what I'd said come Wednesday. Sunday it was, oh man, that was a great sermon. That really touched my life. That helped me so much. I got such insight from that. And, and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they didn't know what it was about. And I thought, well, it couldn't have made a lot of impact because you don't remember. Every once in a while, I don't remember. They may find that hard to believe, but it happens. But anyway, when we started the small group ministry to get the, the study guides out and to begin to talk about and answer questions and interact with the message, all of a sudden I heard people talking about what they heard on Sunday a week or two later. And I realized this is it. This is important. People are now spending time thinking about what they've heard. They're in the Word and it's making a difference. For the first time, I felt like the ministry of preaching was really having a longer term impact. We value that in small groups. We value the, the ability to get, to, connect, to get together and talk about one another's lives and pray for each other. You can't possibly know even... This is not a big group here this morning, but you can't know everyone in this room in a closely connected way. You can't relate to this size of a group, even this size of a group. You can only relate to about a dozen or so people in a closely connected way that are involved in your lives and praying for you and, and, and you know what's going on in their lives and you call each other during the week and, and you stay close and you stay connected. That can only happen within a relatively small circle. And yet it's a vital part of the life of the church. In our small group, we pray for one another. We take time every time we get together. How, how's it going in your life? We celebrated uh, with Ryan and Ashley this past week. We celebrated the fact that they closed on their home. What great news. We've been praying for others who, who have been going through struggles that we know about because we're connected. And we're involved in one another's lives. And then we talk about the Word together. And we encourage one another. and We fellowship together. It's part of being in the family of God. And you need to break it down into a size that you can connect with. We not only have the small groups during the week, but we have groups that are oriented around other uh, 
defining parameters. We have ladies, ladies' Bible studies. We have a men's breakfast. We have youth group. We have children's ministry. We have other opportunities for people to be involved together, serving together, ministering together, sharing together, studying the Word of God together, because it's important that we break it down. You can't just come watch a talking head on Sunday morning and have fellowship. You need to be involved with one another every week in your lives. And we value that involvement and encouragement in prayer and discipleship. And finally, we value loving people in practical ways and serving them. We identify this consistently. It was very interesting to me the first time I came to this church. I came here to Candidate in August of 1985. And I preached my first sermon here September 15, 1985. Well, not my first sermon, but my first sermon as the pastor. In cowboy boots and blue jeans, by the way, because someone put my wardrobe boxes in the back corner of the garage and I couldn't get at them. That was kind of an interesting beginning. But anyway, and I remember coming to this church for the first time and seeing this strange box in the foyer. It looked like a trunk woven out of basket weave. And it had the word manna on it, but it was filled with chicken noodle soup and cornflakes. And I thought, that is a very odd thing to have in the foyer. And that's not manna, it's cornflakes. And what is this all about? And someone explained to me the manna ministry. And I realized this church had compassion for people who have need. And the manna box was a box where people could buy extra groceries and bring them and put them in the box, and anyone else who had need could take them out of the box. And I thought, what a cool way of serving people who have needs. And then I found out we had a benevolent fund. And friends, you wouldn't believe how, how much money goes through the benevolent fund sometimes. That's a designated fund. People designate money to us. It's not part of our budget per se. And, and if you designate it, that's the way it has to be used. And a lot of money goes through the benevolent fund. As we care for people who have needs in electric bills or gas bill or the mortgage or the car's broken or the doctor bill or whatever. And I discovered that, again, historically, this church has had compassion. More recently, we've talked about Operation Love. We've talked about ways, again, to serve our community, to offer English as a second language, to offer different classes in things. Um, we even offered Spanish as a second language. And uh, we've handed out water bottles of cool water at the parade, and other ways of saying we care about you in practical ways. We seek ways to serve. About the turn of the last century, as liberalism began to rise in churches in America, and Freud had come on the scene, and German higher criticism, 
And many churches were embracing a social gospel. And they were forgetting their roots in Scripture and becoming very liberal in their thinking, denying the miracles of the Bible, denying the inspiration of the Bible, denying the deity of Jesus Christ. They became social welfare organizations whose mission was to just uh, help the poor, help the needy, help the homeless, help this group, help that group. And that defined many major denominations. About that time, a group arose in a kickback, a pushback called the fundamentalist. What, what it was was a group of people who said, we're, we're convinced of the inerrancy of Scripture. We're convinced of, of the deity of Jesus Christ. We're convinced of the inspiration of Scripture. We're going to stick to the fundamentals. And they began to be critical of the liberal groups that had a social agenda. And then you may have wondered, what is an evangelical? Well, some years down the road, the evangelical movement emerged. And one of the best definitions I've ever heard of an evangelical is this. It is a fundamentalist with a social conscience. In other words, we hold to the truths of Scripture. We hold those core truths that we value highly. We know that the only way to change the the person is to have Jesus Christ change their heart. We know that we're not going to stem the tide of homosexuality in America by preaching against homosexuality, but by sharing Jesus Christ. And probably the most effective way to see a, a, a... a homosexual person in that lifestyle transformed is to love them with the love of Jesus Christ. And if they have AIDS, to love them even more and serve them in this terrible plight in their lives that they might come to know that there's a God in heaven who loves them. The only way to really change abortion in this country is not to protest uh, the abortion permission, but it is to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. When their hearts are changed, their behaviors change. We will never legislatively change behavior. People are always going to migrate in the direction they want to go, especially in a democracy. But we have the opportunity to share Jesus Christ. But we recognize that if a person's stomach is growling from hunger... They're going to have a hard time listening to our presentation of the gospel. They need to know that we love them. And they need to know that we love the condition they're in. We love them in the condition they're in to the extent that we will meet their need. Without an agenda. You see, if you only care for people so you can talk to them about Jesus, they know that in a heartbeat. They know you have what they perceive as an ulterior motive. But if you love them because you love them, if you love them because they they are in a situation that brings uh, hurt to your heart, that you want to reach out to them and care, and they know that love is genuine regardless of any response they may ever make, then perhaps we will earn the right to share Jesus Christ with them. And we value those opportunities to demonstrate compassion. We are all about serving other people in hopes that we might win the trust and gain the right 
to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that is the only permanent solution to the needs of men and women. So who are we? We're a church that loves to celebrate Jesus. We're a church that upholds the preaching and teaching of the word. We're a church that values world mission. We're a church that is committed to small group ministry. We're a church that values fellowship, that values prayer. We're a church that values loving service in the name of Jesus Christ. And I trust that this helps you to, to, to refocus this morning on what our mission is. As we come together around the Lord's table and we share in the elements of communion together, remember today we're part of a worldwide family. We belong to the body of Jesus Christ. Other churches in this community and around the world that hold a common faith and we have still a great mission. Father, I pray that you would draw us to yourself, that you would remind us of who we are and why we are and what we're doing here, and that we would truly celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his precious name. Amen.